to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, yeah, and then the wants day. us to say, God bless America. Well, you don't know. There was this Right where they own their testing facility. Yeah, because one of their donors like owned a field or yeah, exactly. or something. That's and right. there was an unexplained seismic event that didn't make any sense given the topography or anything. Just out of the blue, the earthquake tremor, right where they had property. It's never been explained to this day. And they were actively pursuing a nuclear weapon. They, they might have tested one. Do you think they summoned Godzilla? They might, yes. <laughs> <Is this through? laughs> Why not? Anyways, uh, hello, fuckers. Hello, uh, hey, what the fuckers? Pod damn morons. We call our fans fuckers. Piss pigs. Dammers? <laughs> would that be good? <laughs> you, you podcast dammers. pigs. Dammers. That sounds like a like a Puritan sect. The dammers. Yeah, That's dammers cool. is pretty cool. And badass. I like, like a biker gang. Y'all are the dammers. <laughs> Bring back there the we go. Lock the gates. Christian. The dammers are coming. <laughs> Christian by Christian, right here. Yeah. Um, welcome to the show. Um, hello, um, I am your host, Jake Flores. I have with me Alex Patek. Hi! That's Rog of Meta. What up? Anders Lee. Anders Lee here. And special guest uh, from Chapo Trap House, Matt Crispin. Thank you for inviting me to the set of the original Broadway production of Rent. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice. Oh, yeah. I've got a God. song in my heart now. That's what it is. I thought it was like the the place where the uh, the Ninja Turtles fight people for so long, but you're absolutely right. That or were they both. that or where they filmed the Saw movies? <laughs> the vibe changes as more and more mannequins leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> this is the place where um where the Ninja Turtles get AIDS and, uh, <laughs> and then Do have you want to play a game? It's AIDS. <laughs> um, if you've been listening to the podcast and have been keeping track of uh, the government sabotaging this show. Um, our equipment blew up a while back. The AC went down last week. Uh, I fixed it, but because we um, had to live without AC and open the windows for a week, we've just got flies now. So they're just, you know, we're going through the, the various plagues. Uncle Sam never fucking sleeps. Yeah. Go and tell pro to this day. If you hear a buzzing in the background, that's just the flies. That's <laughs> an intended part of the recording. Anyways, uh, we have a very special episode of the podcast this week. Um, I wanted to do this for a while uh, because I feel like it's kind of necessary to do just a crash course for it on a very basic uh, introductory level about what neoliberalism is. And the reason I think this is because I've had friends for a long time that I suspect... Um, Maybe, you know, if they just knew the whole picture, would sort of look at things a little bit differently. I have a friend, um, Martha Kelly, who's on the, the show Baskets with Zach Galifianakis. She's a fucking fantastic person, good pal of mine, and very, very sincerely reached out to me um, because she follows me and, I, you know, is aware of all the political stuff that I talk about and said, like, hey, is there, like, you know, something you can refer me to that will sort of you know, help me understand when these politicians come out, whether they're, you know, sort of a conservative in disguise or whether they're like a more progressive because she just was like, I can't tell. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, I could mail Martha Kelly like a stack of books and, you know, a bunch <laughs> of Zinn and Marx and shit. <laughs> but and there was nothing to refer her to. <laughs> you just send her Alex's tweets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not really like a good snackable go-to thing and no one has any fucking time to read all this shit. There's not... You know, a, a a real easy rundown of all this shit, like a crash course, except for maybe like the ABCs of socialism. But there's just two types of people: people that are motivated by what's good about socialism, and people who are motivated by what's fucking horrible about neoliberalism. And I think that's um, the two that book is also a little too vertical. 
Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like uh, like a recipe book. It's not fun to hold. No. No. It's not it's funny tall. either. Too tall. <laughs> yeah. Too tall. Uh, the good thing about this show Great is drawings. that we're angry, you know? So um, I think that we should think of what we're going to do today as this micro, you know, cap encapsulation of what, like, the history of how we got here through neoliberalism, what that is, and why it's affecting everything right now. As like, uh, I've been thinking of it sort of as like a chick tract. Like if I was out in the street yelling, you know, at my dammers, my weird political cult people. It's the word uh, we're using now, dammers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this, this is what I would want to give people is one of those weird religious fundamentalist uh, comics that you get handed that's like, uh, oh, I'm going to hell. But instead of it's because of the devil, it's because of Jeff Bezos or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect. He looks just like the devil did in those chick tracks, by the way, if anyone wants to look. Dead yeah. ringer. Just put the little horns on the side of his head. He definitely looks like he just shaved those off. Yes, he sands them down every morning. He hid his devil <laughs> sticks back in his apartment. Yeah. Um, Would it be painful to shave horns? <laughs> Let us not cover it here. <laughs> and, and before we get into the good stuff, there's the preeminent neoliberal event happening <laughs> yeah. uh, on July 21st and 22nd in Central Park called Aussie Fest. Uh, like Aussie Fest? Aussie Fest, but one Z. What's weird? Featuring Hillary Clinton, Passion Pit, okay. Chelsea Handler. I don't think it's real. I think it's, it's real. Okay, well, they haven't revealed the headliner, and the only logical conclusion is that it's Dr. Don- Oz. My name. <laughs> I'd say Donald Trump. Bills itself as part music festival, part TED Talk, part oh, food fair. Murder me with a <laughs> fucking trident. They'll fucking do that there. <laughs> Please. <laughs> it costs $50. Um, it's going to take place again uh, late July in uh, fucking Rumsey Playfield. Tickets cost between, wait for it, $79 and $360. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you fucking imagine paying good money to stand in a sunbaked field in Central Park in the middle of fucking July? Your brain is baking so that you can watch Steve Pinker come out in his fucking bozo clown wig and tell you, you know, everything's going to get really good in the future. Yeah, you're just well, watching. What is wrong with you? And Malcolm Gladwell, like comes, Malcolm like Gladwell comes out and says, how is everybody tonight? <laughs> it took you 10,000 hours to afford this festival. <laughs> it's like if Skullator fucked Chase Manhattan Bank. <laughs> Monster. Uh, yeah, Roxanne Gay and Salman Rushdie oh, will do imagine? a duet. Uh, oh, Tony, Gonzo- Tony Gonzalez is one. Of, is that the former yeah, Kansas for, City Chiefs yeah, the tight end? Former tight end. What is he going to? Maybe tight he's going to talk about concussion. I believe the greatest tight end. Martha in NFL Stewart, yeah. Laverne Cox, Martha Stewart, DJ. Martha set, Stewart, what's she going to fucking make macrame on stage <laughs> <laughs> while you're all hot and covered in flies <laughs> and drinking a twelve dollar beer? The the like advertisement for it looks like the Coachella ad that everyone makes fun of. It's like oh, yeah. marketed like this music event outside festival of the summer, which only leads me to believe they expect us to be on Molly, culturally appropriating, wearing those Native American headdresses, like best summer of our lives man you're paying this money so that you can watch alex rodriguez come out and presumably rank all of a na- the nation's chain steakhouses <laughs> like what the fuck else is alex rodriguez gonna do well you know uh, roost is always the best of course but it's also the most expensive you might want to consider that flemings <laughs> is now underrated and outback you know what it's better than you remember it was you stand up for clinton man oh fuck i hope she persists <laughs> i'm chilling at aussie fest <laughs> <laughs> and then we have jake Tapper, who that's another big question. Oh, yeah. He's going to come out and just 
put on a big screen all of his retweets of veterans. Because that's, that's, that's the thing he thinks. That's, to him, when he does that, that is his yearly public service. That's him going to a soup kitchen. Is I'm going to respect the troops all day. I'm, no, I'm not going to have a second hot dog. I'm going to stay inside in the air conditioning, and I'm going to retweet troops. That's it. That, and it's also a weird thing from him, because his whole shtick is like, well, I don't know if that's a good answer, but I'm going to move on anyway. Yeah. And then, like, he does yeah. this one, like, thing where he's supposed to be sincere and just, just kind of, like, And he also him. steps out his dick every year because he'll, like, hey, uh, how about this picture of my uncle? And it's Reinhard Heydrich, <laughs> and he's too fucking <laughs> stupid to even know, oh, yeah. Oh, Charles Whitman, for sure. Timothy McVeigh, all troops. And, it, and then, <laughs> so every year he just gets owned, and of course, and because he's such a simpleton, and he'll just reflexively retweet any re- uniform that comes across the transom. You know what Jake Tapper is, though? He's a straight man, and you need that for Chelsea Handler to really pop off. Yeah. yeah. She needs so, someone to bounce off of. Uh, two it's mushrooms. Two mushrooms Albert. and respect the troops this yeah. summer. Respect the fucking troops. Do it. Yeah. Implied guest, the troops. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever you eat, leave a, ta- a chair open for the troops. <laughs> you just see a full just arena. like every other seat <laughs> is filled. This is a troop. <laughs> this this really does kind of make sense if you've been to a lot of music festivals because as they, the reason they're growing so hard is you know there's underlying economic reasons for it and stuff and they become that's the only way you can make money as an artist anyway. yeah and so they become more and more corporate and you know what eventually yeah just take the music out of it just make it about <laughs> lanyards and secret passes and shit and yeah, like you're levels. basically taking all the people who always show up there as VIPs behind the seats and, and watch it it's just like if you dropped the fucking the the, the 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 drapes and it's just you get rid of the performers and it's just the people behind the fucking VIPs who show up and watch the performance That's and now true. you get to look at them this because like, they're the real controllers of society. This is like if when you go to Bonnaroo if you just stayed in the Citibank hydration tent. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, uh, Aussie Fest, the um, cultural event of the summer. Don't miss it, guys. Uh, we'll be performing in the parking lot uh, unofficial. Um, we're just big fans of the fest. We didn't want to bring it up, but they paid us a lot of money. <laughs> Should <laughs> <laughs> just make fun of them, so other podcasts can go and buy tickets and try to make fun of it. And they'll it's gonna make succeeded. Woodstock '99 look like Woodstock '94. Oh, I hope it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Passion Pit. <laughs> I hope it looks like Woodstock '99. Fires break out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm hoping for, for more of an Ultimate feel. If you know what I mean. <laughs> hope some Hell's Angels showed up with sawed off fucking pool cubes. Yeah. Like the real, the real headliner, Limp Biscuit. So let's work backwards. How did we arrive? At at a future hell world where there's a festival headlined by Hillary Clinton um, that costs $9 million to go to. Um, yeah, you can imagine that scene of, remember the story from this week about the guy who was desperate, who got a random check from an unknown bank offering him a short-time loan, and he wasn't going to do it because of the high interest rate, but then his truck broke down and it really undermined his life. And so he was like, I have to do something. So he he cashed the check, and then soon enough, he ended up owing thousands and thousands of dollars in interest and court fees to this company that persecuted him that was controlled by Tim Geithner, our <laughs> former Treasury yeah. Secretary. Imagine the scene of that guy getting you know, his fucking truck repossessed, and it freeze frames, and there's a retro stretch and says... I bet you're wondering how I ended up like this. <laughs> yeah. Goes um, back to boom. The feudal system of ownership. Enter the first <laughs> act of um, 
Uh, um, Dan Carlin's softcore history. This one's <laughs> for children. Just kissing. It's blurry, and this you can watch sick. it when your parents fall asleep. Shannon Tweed history, <laughs> not uh, not Janet Jameson. Yeah, there's no um, penetration in this history lesson. Uh-huh. Uh, this is uh, this no is no lube, no penetration. <laughs> yeah, so I think that like to pull the lens back real hard, you got to kind of look at the origins of um, what is known as liberalism, um, which you know is the very thing that I think people don't understand both of our major parties subscribe to. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a bit of a misnomer, and we tend to think of liberalism and conservatism as these two things that are opposite each other, but really they both fall under this huge term. Big capital L. They're on the same branch. I've heard liberalism is when you won't buy a chicken sandwich because it's not gay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's this great tweet uh, earlier this week where this person uh, did like a weird inspired thing where they said, liberalism gave you the vote, liberalism gave you equality, liberalism gave you inalienable rights, Uh, liberalism is the enemy of tyrants and I'll be forever proud to defend it, you know, and then it gets a bunch of retweets and then you cut to like their first reply a day later is just like, Whatever, man. I'm not being owned. You know? the, the response to that, though, the instant one is liberal also gave you slavery. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like these things are all entwined within the same political and economic genealogy. And so I, it gave you the good stuff, but it also gave you the stuff it was responding to. It gave you slavery and Jim Crow. Yeah. And the basic reason that there's this huge misnomer and kind of gaslighting of people uh, is that in this country, we don't we no longer have an understanding that um, the left and the right are divided by ca- pro-capitalism and anti-capitalism people that kind of believe cold war bullshit don't ever phrase it as you know america was fighting against against communism against socialism and pro-capitalism they always pit it as uh democracy versus socialism which is not those two things aren't on other ends of a a spectrum Mm -mm. um they're you know you're talking about two separate things right so i guess in order to understand that yeah we go back to feudalism and all these various revolutions um that happen you know around these 1600s 1700s even you know like our own in America. Reformation, one of the most important of those, of course. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them are very individualistic. So the roots of what we call liberalism is, yeah, it's based on these, uh, you know, French philosophers and these uh, people that they tell you in school here, well, these are the people that, that came up with the concept of you having freedom altogether. But what they were really theorizing was, you know, individual freedom for like landowning white men, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's not an across the board thing at all. Mm-hmm. And that's where the split comes from. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, I'm trying to figure out how to bridge the gap between you know that happening and then later on um, Marx's sort of uh, you know understanding that, uh, and then more socialist revolutions happening, and us not really understanding that those two things are like those are the, the right and the left. Mm-hmm. Conflict when liberalism was starting was between uh, this old system of you know monarchy and thinking of the god as as this ever-present force and everything and then you have that's that's the first conflict and then when the 1800s comes in and marks that's where the the new conflict is arising and it's still going on today yes because what liberalism does is is it essentially what it is is a project of uprooting Uh, liberalism takes the feudal subject who is embedded in a and he is not defined by his identity or himself. He's, identif- he's defined by his relationships. He's defined by a web of connections to other people. He is holistic. The liberal subject is an individual, is a monad, 
is unconnected to others, has no other uh, definition other than his, his own, has no, there's no way that uh, connections to others increase any sort of sense of reality for that person. That person is fully defined as, a, by, as an individual being. That's what liberalism says. It, 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 it power washes. Like, imagine a bunch of uh, ball bearings, and they're covered in, like, cake dirt and mud. And the mud is our connections to other people and institutions and systems of belief and the things that make us full human. Liberalism is basically a fucking giant hose that says that, no, those connections don't make you who you are. You are a self-contained being. You, you are not connected to others in any meaningful sense. And then what liberal political theory is, is it, at base... It is a figuring out how to make these individuals that can no longer relate to one another by context, can only relate to one another as individuals who have no other outside context. How can they relate to one another in a way that doesn't lead to death for everything? A cooperative existence. Liberalism is how to negotiate the distance between people that liberalism created in the first place. Yeah. With transactions. Um, yes, yes. It's, it, turns, it turns human relationships, all human relationships, into transactions. Yes. And that, does not, that is the difference between that and the feudal subject. And so that is the world that liberalism and conservatism and fascism, all these things, and also communism, come from. Is that de, the, the demystification of the self created by the, the, the uprooting from feudal traditions. What I would say is liberalism does not see you as stones held together by mud. They see you as individual stones being sprayed with the hose and then put into my bucket. I sell stones. Yes, exactly. I'm starting a stone business. <laughs> it turns and us it doesn't all sound like there's a big turnaround, but there actually is if you go to the right places where they don't have stones. Because if you don't have human connections, the only way to resolve a conflict between total strangers that are alienated from each other's existences is through combat and through conflict. And liberalism says, well, that's not workable, everyone will eventually be destroyed in, in a Ragnarok. You have to negotiate these transactions and the distances. And that's what liberalism does. It creates the institutions for that. That is why the one, uh, the most parasitic and vital uh, petty bourgeois profession that glommed onto capitalism as it broke from feudalism is the legal trade. It's, mm. it's law. Because law is what grew to fill in the spaces left by the erosion of social ties. Because you need law to negotiate these new relationships between strangers that have no understanding of obligation to one another. That, is the, 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 that transmission, the, the language of it, is law. And so that's why I always find it funny for the people who want to say, oh, Marx's concept of the French Revolution as a class war of the bourgeois is wrong because most of them weren't merchants. A lot, most of them were lawyers. Obviously, uh, because being that is the most vital profession to the creation of a liberal state because you have to figure out how all of these strangers, all these people who are implicitly holding guns on each other in a constant Mexican standoff, how can they lower the guns and, and deal with one another? That's what the legal system and that's what liberalism created. Yeah, well said. And I think that that individualistic nature of it is also something that in America right now is um, people don't really understand that as the enemy because because it is a stepping stone from, uh, you know, moving from feudalism to then, you know, ho ho hopefully eventually getting to more a collective thing. But because it's this halfway point that was sort of developed by, you know, people that then wanted to, you know, still maintain their own power, um, it's, it's still... Um, 
it's it's anti solidarity in a lot of ways, and you still it's really funny because when you watch like a Pepsi commercial or something, what do they tell you? They tell you this is all about you, you know. Pepsi is about you and your experience, right. and You're and Brittany. and these fucking music festivals and you know Capital One trying to tell you you know you have some personal relationship with your credit card that makes it about you, and these things are all we I think arrived at it, at celebrating that. Um, you know, as a really basic American value, as um, a byproduct of us getting away from solidarity and in any way being connected, you know, n- not being atomized. Like they're right. trying to tell you, being atomized, being individual, yeah. separate from the each other, is somehow very virtue. Exciting. That's why people fall for it. They're like, I'm Capital One all this time. <laughs> it's like a video That's game. I worked at the store. Yeah. It's like a video game. It is a fantasy of endless interaction and control over a universe. That's what they sell you. And then you spend your whole life being brutally constrained in ways you can never see, but you're still interacting as though it were this limitless fantasy that the the, the the pseudo version of it sold you. And right. the, when you're I, just capital. Yeah. Yeah. I might pose. People. I might pose though that uh, liberalism, for it, its time, that time was still a. a I think we can say positive step. Yes. In the oh right no, direction. a positive yeah. and necessary it, step. Yeah. Has it, to be assumed. Right. And because it, communism grows out of liberalism. Absolutely. But so you can't. Yeah. You can't break apart the two movements. And One there are things the about individualism and the individual that we don't have to necessarily reject. Yes, we can bring absolutely. that as like that yeah, that is a growth, a good positive growth out of the enlightenment, but mm-hmm. it can go too far. Exactly. Hyper individualism. Exactly. Devil's exactly. advocate, exactly. let's bring kings back. <laughs> no, we can't mend what's broken there. I don't you mean can't. like CEO kings. I mean like king Th- kings. Those holy connections kings. cannot be re- rebuilt. You have to deal with the individuals we've created. This bag, the bag of marbles. We can't really oh, amass we can't just get them back together. King Solomon. All of so a we can take the most humanistic strand of liberalism to emerge from it. The the the, the, root, the thing that came out, you know, fascism and classical liberalism and neoliberalism. They all sprouted out, and then socialism sprouted out, and that is the most humane of the salute. The dealing with the crisis of creating liberalism in the first place, it's the most humane, it's the best solution. So we should embrace it as such, as the, as the most humanizing version of a liberal world. That's what it is. And the Pokemon evolutions of the superstructure, <laughs> socialism alone has the Firestone. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no, the heart. It literally is the only one of the heart. Because it's the one that Which centers humans. Which in Pokemon is very valuable. Because it's the one, that, the because the one that centers humans meaning anything. Because it's the one that is defined by human terms. Because the alienated version, the liberal version, the Nazi version, the neoliberal version, atomizes that and destroys it. And so you don't have that heart anymore. You only relate to each other as theoretical beings who mean nothing to you because their suffering is not your suffering. So you can allow anything to happen to them. And that fatal undermining of trust and solidarity between people eventually, under pressure, obliterates the whole project. So the heart is what you need. Is that... Humanism that only socialism can can reproduce out of the fabric that was destroyed by the end of feudalism. So how do we tie this into our part of the story? Are we we're at Karl um, Marx? Yeah, let's talk about Marx. Um, and so how then this thing branched off through him to eventually communism, mm-hmm. um, because as Marx uh, was sort of observing like uh, the the French Revolution, he came up with, you know, this theory where, as, you know, we've discussed before in the show, he's sort of articulated something that was probably just buzzing in the air at the time, which is understanding of, um, you know, your world as uh, a situation where there are two inherent classes, you know, there's uh, workers and then there's people that don't have to work and mm-hmm. then there's this myth 
that we still believe today, which is that you have a mobility between those two classes. Um, and he sort of theorized uh, very correctly that this thing that led to unions, which is that um, you know if you you the workers are able to not be fucking marbles that are disconnected from each other if you are able to grab onto each other and form a solid wall or a solid force then you can sort of um correct that inherent uh imbalance that happens when the owner of your factory um you know is is living in a way that just makes them more and more rich while you are are lied to and told you can too right Mm -hmm. um so that's the basis of communism and it's um it's I, I guess what's interesting to me is that then yeah like you were saying you know if you look at the end goals of all these ideologies of liberalism of feudalism of socialism of communism yeah you're right socialism is the only one where it ended up being a theory w- that where all of society's institutions worked towards the good of people living in society the mm-hmm. rest of them are statist mm-hmm. um, or in the case of like feudalism it's for the king you know uh, right. and god and shit and it's also predicated on moving us to another system socialism yeah one of the only branches out of um, that liberal well, tree yeah the, the rest have a death drive yeah. the rest point towards an extinction and, and yeah. heat death yeah absolutely right. it wants to, to move on yeah. I mean, it's, that's a state though like annihilation's a state <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing is that, is that that's the real distinction between uh, neoliberalism and fascism is the fascist death drive is conscious and it is a direct attempt yeah. toward to, to get to obliteration whereas the neoliberal death drive is, is more sort of passive and it's just sort of towards entropy as opposed to towards no, like a spectacular annihilation. Yep. It's like fa- fascism is an aesthetic annihilation, and and uh, and neoliberalism is sort of just a you know a, phys- a dryly uh, physical yeah an- a, 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 an annihilation. Shimrikio on training wheels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. F- fascism is a case in which like it's uh you know Trump will just tell you he wants to fucking kill somebody, but with neoliberalism you need Zizek to come and decode everything <laughs> for you <laughs> and yeah. tell you what the symbols in these fucking we'll have movies a women, mean. Yeah, well, tell you that. I mean neoliberalism. <laughs> Liberalism is, is, is imbibing from the same poisoned cup of fascism, of annihilation and death to mm-hmm. all, but with the veil of sort of faux ignorance put across its, its face. So at every point, it will embrace the same ends of destruction and dehumanization, but it will always choose the option that gives it the greatest amount of plausible deniability and imagining that it, they're not complicit in it. And that's the only real meaningful distinction. And, and, and it's right. like, it's, it's basically like morals as we understand them are essentially an accumulation of ways to obscure one's stated and secret desire mm-hmm. that one doesn't want to confront. That's what morals are. It's just like a, a bunch of barnacles on top of that urge. Mm-hmm. Um, Th- there is a distinction, too, that I think always, that I remember confusing me, uh, similar to the kind of the left liberal one, which is anarchism and communism. I think we grow up in the United yeah. States thinking of the just opposites. Uh, but this kind of new alternative you know le- leftism radicalism whatever you want to call it that uh new alternative to liberalism um ultimately those things are kind of the same right yeah no no they bend towards the same direction right. and all of the 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 strategic sort of suggestions for both strands is towards the same end mm-hmm. so yeah they're totally. both uh, an a- a counterpoint to capitalism, but one being um, completely horizontalists, like there shouldn't be a state uh, with hierarchy, and the other one communism. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're two, they're two yeah. virtuous goals, sort of pulling 
pulling the mass in one direction that hopefully will resolve between the two in sort of a compromise that's sufficient for both. Um. It's not too far one way or the other in terms of... Well, good thing that they figured it out and they never fight with each other online or anything. No, well, that's the thing. It's like all, all... all the online political conflict is completely cosmetic and meaningless because nobody is fundamentally different from anybody else in their practical politics. F- none of them are like tanky, oh, sock dem, tanky, anarchist. None of those are meaningful categories. They don't in- describe anything that makes these people different. What they ex- describe are different posting styles. <laughs> They're just different <laughs> ways yeah, yeah, yeah. to describe different types of poster within the left Twitter ecosystem. This should be the parties. Should be shit posters, yeah. sincere Facebook, yeah. uh, long diatribes. Sincere Facebook caucus. Um, <laughs> 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 the political landscape is so dire, uh, people like they they flee to the fantasy realm, and so that's where they try to make you know their politics felt is in this fantasy world. Yeah, and you know, like we talk about this a lot with uh, technology leading to this alienation. That's ultimately like, oh my god, we've never felt this weird before or whatever. But I think it, it's important to look back through history and realize, like. No, I mean, during, the, like, the Red Scare, that was exactly as insane on a lot of levels, you know? Like, the McCarthyism in, in America was, like, Pizzagate on a level, you know? It was... Oh, my God, yeah. Like and that it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> At the farthest end of it, you had the John Birch Society accusing General Eisenhower of being a Soviet spy. That was the Obama is not from America thing of, like, the 50s. That was, like, the er post-war conspiracy theory that sort of the rest of them all spring from is this idea that there's a foreign agent at the heart of your conception of what your country is. And they invented that with Eisenhower as a spy. And that was the <laughs> farthest like mainstream expression of that paranoia that was created by that time. It's the mark of a turn when they identified our spy. Yeah. <laughs> Did uh, he ever produce the long-form birth certificate? I'm, uh, not to my knowledge. I haven't seen it. I, not to my knowledge. He's from Kenya. I knew it. Um, it was a bald wig all along, too. <laughs> Michelle is a man. So um, let's move a little bit further into, so we, you know, let's say we've understood that, that there are these different sort of ideological revolutions and, and we live in the one that is hyper-liberal in the U.S., right? Well, you know, at some point around 100 years ago, there were all these different people working through, all these different states, rather, working through all these various different evolutions trying to get to what's the ultimate goal, right? Which what What is, you know, going to be best for whoever uh society itself or the fucking government in that society or the state or whatever um and something i think is really interesting a lot of people don't know is uh and if you read fucking howard's in you'll get all this stuff you know if you're lucky enough to read that shit in high school you, you come back and be annoying about it for a year and then it becomes part of your your diet uh or whatever but Subscribe like um, to howard's in's podcast <laughs> the, the zen chronicles radio. yes <laughs> patreon um, <laughs> but that you know there was a real socialist movement in this country, and there, yeah, there also was a way. A way, a friend of mine, Luisa Diaz, has been on the show before. Sort of explains it. The thing that oh, she always says about it that I find really interesting is that um, the the big reason we have like cultural amnesia about like socialism and shit like that is because of um, sort of World War II and this idea of uh, we created like a fake memory past after that of like oh it's always been like this but like if you look at the way people's lives were structured in you know turn of the century in the fucking 1910s um, you know you probably could relate to those people on a lot of levels like a lot of the criticisms criticisms people have of millennials now oh they're baseless they don't know what they're going to do with their lives well that's what life was like before then um, or back then, before you know, we created these myths of like um, you know, 
everyone's always going to live in these suburbs forever and sort of, uh, you know, be part of this middle class that um, is just like a, a thing that you're just supposed to understand, you know, will last forever and always has been around. Peak empire culture. Um, 1950s stuff we all take for granted. High modernism. Yeah. Um, so there was Eugene Debs, who was, um, you know, the 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 presidential candidate that almost won as a socialist. Um, about almost won. He, he <laughs> He, he won. <laughs> In our hearts. <laughs> he would have won. He would have won. He would have won. He won the popular vote. Yeah. <laughs> Extended culture war. So yeah. Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Jill Stein. <laughs> Goddamn Al Jolson. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't know, like, uh, Helen Keller was a socialist. That's a really yeah. funny Indeed. story. Um, as she she was a socialist after she learned to like write and everything, she would uh, like put out papers and stuff about it and was a writer in a local newspaper. And after she started writing about socialism, at first they were like, "Wow, we've got this genius Helen Keller!" Like you know, the, the, the she's such a smart person, such an inspiration, and she starts talking about socialism. And they're like, "Don't listen to her. She's like she's clearly mentally she fucked can't up. Even see. Yeah, she's blind. What are you thinking? <laughs> she's never laid eyes on the Statue of Liberty. She could never understand." what that means <laughs> of course she's a bolshevik she can't, she can't, she can't even work. see the races she's supposed I mean, to she was a t- she was a tanky in her days she was really? pro-bolshevik yes you would yeah. think yes. she would be kind of the perfect liberal subject because she is mm. very much you know this little but the thing is yeah, yeah. is that the complete vulnerability of that yeah the, totally. your, because we are all deeply and un inconceivably indebted to each other every moment of the day for each other's existence in ways that we cannot even count, count, count. But we don't notice it because we're overwhelmed by stimuli or whatever. Because her vulnerability was so stark, she could only see how vulnerable she was and how much she needed other people in order to live. And that made her realize everyone is as interconnected with one another as that. Everybody is as, is as you know... Uh, in the debt of the other is that person. And so we're all bound to each other by that, and that made her a socialist. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Man, she would have been so good at shit posting. It would have taken <laughs> her, like, <laughs> fucking ten hours to get one out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Man, Helen Keller, go on Cometown. You get autocorrected, you're basically fucked. You never notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's got a wacky Twitter name and shit. So... Uh, something I think is kind of interesting around this this time in America, if, in terms of if we're trying to understand and decode for people that are gaslit a little bit and maybe not understand this, is like, well, okay, how did Republicans and Democrats become these two parties that are two sides of the same coin, right? Because there was this leftist presence actually in America for a while, mm. um, and then there was you know William Jennings Bryant, and he was sort of like kind of was responsible on some level for like. Um, Fusing the Republican and Democrat. Am I getting any of this? Can I interject? By, by the way, interrupt me if I'm getting this okay. wrong. Uh, yeah, because there is an active left movement in America in the 19th century, early 20th century, but it was never part of the Republicans or the Democrats. That's what and I'm whenever saying. Whenever they tried to break in, they were pushed out very forcefully. Well, what they, what the two parties have a system where they take the energies of emergent parties and absorb them with an, like star killer base from like star killer from base. from the Force Awakens. And that's what happened. The Populist Party was an independent third party in the prairie west of, of, of yeoman farmers fighting against the west eastern interests and big money. And they became vastly influential until there was a fusion where Williams Jennings Bryan was the joint candidate of the Populists and the Democrats. And after that, the Democrats just ate it. They ate the issues, and they became that party. And that's what happens with third parties. They get too close to like the big sun, 
and they get sucked into the black hole. A yeah. similar decline with the Socialist Party. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. that and I mean, the thing that really killed the Socialist Party was the Bolshevik Revolution. Because the existence of Soviet Russia created a threat that was so visceral to capital that it countenanced violations of liberty that it wouldn't have conceived of otherwise. It created a state of emergency. And so the fucking Socialist Party was brutally suppressed as, as soon as the Reds rose in Russia. Fuck, and we're all in, order to, in order to destroy, in order to stop them. And it worked. Like, it worked. Debs went to jail for his anti-war speech. Big yeah. Bill Haywood had to flee to Russia. Emma Goldman was deported. And it was, it was a clean sweep. The first Red Scare clean sweep of, of activist communists in America because of this new threat, this dark star of socialism that was going to uh, destroy America at any moment, and it's what allowed them to get away with doing this. And then world, the, the fascism shows up, and fascism becomes such a vital threat to what we perceive as, as the good part of liberalism that it actually you know, cr- kicks in this big response that re- crea- creates this solidarity between the Soviet Union and Western capitalism, and that's when you had the Popular Front, and there was this idea that the Soviets were good guys, and there were all these communists in, in, in arts and in high levels of government who thought the Soviets had figured this out, we're going to do this together. And then after we defeat the, the, the Nazis, the threat immediately goes to our biggest enemy, which is the emergent Soviet Union, and all of those pathogens that have infected our culture, they get attacked by the white blood cells of patriotism and they go well you were connected to the soviets during the war and you were in this organization that was connected to the soviets over here and you were in this group and that was where the second red scare came this antibody kick in to flush out the pathogens of of socialism that had been infected by the by the alliance with the soviet union to fight the nazis and that second red scare is what set the stage for neoliberalism essentially it's like you know they say you shouldn't do too much anti uh like you don't want to drink anything that's going to kill too much of your gut microbes because yeah, once you get underneath yeah. a certain balance, like your undermined, like your, your homeostasis is undermined, and then the other thing could kind of take over and you become sick. It's the same thing. We got rid of so many of like the, 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 the good li- liberal socialist, you know, humanist antibodies or, or you know, things in the bloodstream that the, there was no defense against this rampaging fascism that came back. Uh, first in the form of neoliberalism, and then once crisis hit, now, you know, neo-fascism, that's, that's where it came in, because we destroyed our antibodies. We destroyed our resistance to this pathogen, and it just took over, starting in the 1970s specifically. Or, yeah. for a simpler Star Wars analogy, when fascism <laughs> arised, we see an alliance between unlikely parties, like Luke Skywalker and that big cow that he has to suck the tits up. <laughs> that's what socialism is. <laughs> that big cow is Jeff Flake. <laughs> so, uh, post post World War II, uh, post uh, uh, popular some part some Wait, parts how's of World War II went. <laughs> we won. Oh fuck yeah! Helen Keller won. Yeah, this twofold thing kind of happens with uh, what is left of uh, of leftism being absorbed into the Democratic Party, and yeah. then also this the the what's re- left of it at, on its own being pushed out. So it kind of gets cut in half, you mm-hmm. know. What I'm getting at is uh, through the '70s there was like the decline of unions, mm-hmm. and you had someone like Jimmy Carter sort of realize, you know, maybe he was one of the first big ones in my mind that realizes that he can sort of run in this democratic party that is banged up and not really a thing anymore but is the other party he kind of ran as a progressive but then ran as just like a sun a ray of sunshine yeah no uh people didn't know you could do that before well yeah they they would ask him like what's your foreign policy and he'd be like my foreign policy is as good as the american people oh like that was (laughs) he just played donovan yeah dance yeah yeah 
Um, so let's move forward a little bit as we get to, uh, <laughs> through the 20th century to where we are. Um, another big, um, component in how we got to neoliberal hell. Well, uh, two things. Uh, first, let's go through like Reagan and uh, just extreme Koch brothers, libertarian capitalism. Um, I, I think everyone should probably read the shock doctrine at some point mm. in their lives. Um, cause it shows it's you happening right in front of like Puerto Rico and Naomi Klein has written a book about this. It's just literally everything in that book is happening right in front of you. Reagan gets into office and he's this ultra capitalist and he has trickle down theory, which is this theory that, you know, capitalism itself will uh, inevitably, you know, cause society's ills to be fixed. Um, It'll improve society. He's he's very upfront about his his insane beliefs about capitalism. Just to tie this into what we were talking about before, Reagan comes in early 80s right after... Uh, uh, the Carter presidency because surprise running on good vibes doesn't actually <laughs> feel anything uh, that's exactly what it was is because what the thing that happened is is w- while Reagan is rising the thing people say well Reagan rose the Democrats fell and the reason for that is He's because the Democratic message is no longer appealing to American voters and so therefore they had to change it that's that's the that's the holy writ there's the underlining theory Get a cowboy and what, what had happened under Carter though is that the engine for, for uh, Democratic voter engagement that made them a viable party and that made their numbers, because there were always more people who were Democrats than Republicans, mean anything, is that they had this economic policy that helped the average worker. And it, they were identified with that policy ever since the New Deal. The Democrats were the party of your paycheck. They were the party that was going to help you out, make things easier for you. And, you know, that was at the cost of, obviously, a Jim Crow uh, uh, New Deal and racism. But, you know, to the white working class, it was a deal. You do this and we give you your vote. And it fell apart because the economy shuttered to a halt worldwide in the 70s. And the U.S. was no longer able to hold on to the economy as the deriving force of it. They had to be one part of others. And that's when Nixon got off the gold standard. We all became part of, like, just a global connection of states that are on relatively equal footing as opposed to the U.S. being the hegemon. That was the end. And so now that's going to create civil instability because that outward expansion is what was keeping everything peaceful. We kept paying out money. We were were dividing it up evenly between capital and labor. But then it got smaller and smaller, but the capital wasn't going to give up their slice. And so they had to undermine the force that was asking for anything, and that was labor unions. Because by starting the process of neoliberal reform, by doing the first wave of financial and, and economic deregulations, Carter undermined the entire connecting tissue between his working class voters and the party. And so as the population increased, the natural constituency of the Republicans increases. The, Republi- the Democrats are stuck because they're not connected anymore. They're, they don't have a power source driving the, the, their continued political engagement because why are you going to vote for them? They're not going to deliver what they had always delivered. All they're going to do is be a set of cultural signifiers that because I'm from the Midwest or I'm a white male or whatever, I don't relate to. So I'm not going to vote for them because their cultural signifiers are bad. But that's because that's the only thing I can vote on because they no longer present an economic alternative to the neoliberal hastening hell we're getting. So they, at this point, sort of stand for nothing because, as you said, they lost that that connected tissue. And so it became a cultural war, and we've been living in cultural politics ever since. And that has favored the Republicans because the resentment of of white, sort of entitled middle-class voters is very entrenched and and, and more solidified. It's not as divided as that of other other areas, other groups. So they have a unified belief, and they've been smashing through the walls and making sure they hold on as long as possible to this, this, uh, this cultural superstructure. 
because they've given up any hope of changing the material relationship, which is just uh, annihilating every connection. So I something I think is important is around this time, um, like as you know, Democrat like the Democratic Party is sort of losing meaning, and as um, the right is like pushing real hard their sort of mythos, mm-hmm. their myths about culture. This is when we start to get to where like people believe it's in the, the right concept wing. It's of like. The Bible. Yeah, um, this is when people start to believe in like welfare queens and stuff like that, and yeah. the, there was now we've they've weaponized the idea of resenting other people, and it's yep. all through this individualistic exactly. ideology. Yep. It's all about like um, um, you know th- these people are going to come and they're going to throw off this delicate balance that we have with like minimum wage. This is what they say. You know, this is this is why they're so anti-immigrant. Um, this is why uh, they're they're you know they're so like uh, individualistic because this, this thing they're selling the concept of being a Reagan cowboy, you know, a fucking like lone shooter and, and being, you know, somebody who really believes in the American ideal of you just living your life, climbing up the ladder. That is directly anti-solidarity. When they introduced means testing to welfare elements, that was the end. Yeah. Once you create means testing and you create categories of citizen who have different levels of support from the state, you create poisonous uh, uh, resentment. That can't be resolved any other way. All programs have to be universal. That's what builds solidarity. That's what builds a sense that right. everything I give to you, I get back. And that's the sort of the, 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 the unifying give back that like, gives base. The, the, it's the basis for all social relationships that we could actually you know, live that way and feel like we are safe. Yeah, and no one ever called anyone a social security queen. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> and as soon as you introduce means testing, then you have categories of citizens. With different levels of responsibility and rights, be pitted against each and other. you can decide that the state is the fault of that. So this byproduct and, destroy- and decide the state has to go away because it was just the free market, it was just the hounds, the, the ferocious hounds of capital, without any constraining harness. If it if it just ab- obliterates these these sedimentary layers of of laziness and privilege, good. I don't care. Yeah, so this this half-assed, um, you know, form of leftish thinking, uh, you know, the, if you can even call that at all, that now c- keeps continuing to lose against the right just solidifies the right's individualistic ideas yep. more and more and more, which is why then it sort of mutates and has to turn into this thing where when you get to, like, Clinton... Um, he only is able to win through this thing called the third way, which is like how we arrived at having someone who is um, sort of, you know, socially, you know, progressive while economically conservative, which is really an socially conservative, uh, socially liberal, fiscally conservative. <laughs> yeah. That's that's by the way, that's my all-time favorite Thirty Rock show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when Jack <laughs> oh, yeah, is, is going yeah, up yeah. to Dennis to see if he could maybe get him to help his campaign, and he goes, "What are your politics?" And he says. Uh, socially conservative, fiscally liberal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's such a smart joke because so many people in the culture at the time considered the opposite yeah. of that to be they, the that's like the thing default ever. thing. Oh, this is how I'm above partisanship and I'm a smart person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and people still say it all the time. It's now. like, <laughs> oh, I just, I, I, I think uh, for some reason the one that I'm conservative on is the one related to my material condition. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, it just so happens to be one thing. The one that, that least affects my material <laughs> being is the one that I'm least worried about maintaining. That's funny. That's fine. <laughs> What I a think goof. With what a what, what a well, it allows you to maintain a, a relationship with your fucking racist dad or whatever yeah. because you can go. I still I believe in the abstract stuff like you do. You know, I'm just a little bit more evolved. I think gay people should be able to get married. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. That's and how when you it comes to money. I'm like still a, racist. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what it is though. It's fucking racist <laughs> money because yeah. like I, you the 
social justice cannot happen without the economic base. It's not just saying that you like a group of people <laughs> affects them in no yep. fucking way. I think the problems are bad, but I think all the causes are good. That's yeah. exactly like what, why neoliberalism is so obnoxious is because it's a circular fucking argument. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think Clinton, and you might be able to apply some of this to Obama too, really gets at the heart of what uh, people mean when we complain about neoliberalism because you have someone advocating traditional liberal, in in America anyway, uh, policy like values, policy values, not positions, but things like healthcare, education, that, but those things are his solutions are all market solutions. So they're liberal causes, but the the policies themselves are in effect conservative. It's an unstopped rightward slide from Reagan on. Though. Yeah. The, yeah. The words and change, but the battleground. And is what? Just nothing and what it really is, and the thing that you have to remember every time you see some su- seemingly woke expression by a Hollywood celebrity or or a, a democratic politician who might not be perfect but they seem like their hearts in the right place or like you know any kind of appeal to being reasonable and and how you need to to compromise and how you know we have to be open minded how all of those things it's part of a switch in mindset liberalism saw the market as a way to constrain nature in a way that was mutually beneficial they would say something like you shouldn't have the state interfere with the market that's what they would say mm-hmm. is they're like short capsule idea that was liberalism then after the crisis of the 70s sort of necessitated this doubling down on all of the more predatory elements of liberalism and letting go of all the equality stuff that made it stable you see people getting more fanatic in the belief and it switches from you shouldn't mark have the state interfere with the market to you can't have the state interfere with the market the market goes from an element used to make sense of the world to a totalizing concept the market is everything everything is within cap the market including all politics and so the state exists and there isn't a separation the the idea there's a separation is is a a vanity it's a fantasy that you're trying to make yourself feel better like oh you're observing fair rules it's always being uh, absorbed the state it's always working in concert and in the will of the market and the yeah, market yeah. is overwhelming and controls all. So the the, the neoliberal he doesn't feel a, a pang like Scott Walker or Rahm Emanuel doesn't feel a pang of guilt about taking using public money to fund private things that will only uh, accrue profits to private companies or sell off public assets like the the toll uh, the, the the pay booths. They're fine with that because to them that's what the state exists to do to support the market. A previous right. generation of liberals or conservatives would say no these are separate entities. They would fool themselves into thinking that. The neoliberal is like, no, we are at the crisis state. They cannot be, this fantasy can no longer be held. Just fucking hit the fucking gas and subordinate the state in all of its ways to the supporting, to the, the, the perpetuation of capital. And that's where I think the distinction is between a neoliberal and someone like a Ron Paul, who would say, like, no state intervention in the market whatsoever. A neoliberal would say, well, we're not against the state. You just the point of having a state is to facilitate the market. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's what they're by saying is there shouldn't be a difference at all. Yeah, right. In a, just by virtue of making more money, that's benefiting society somehow. Yeah, oh, well, I think in a, in a branding sense, is the way they sell you what they're all about. Um, they got to a point where they had to treat that market 
idea of it being just you know the most important thing as something that has inherently always been true something that is at a core american value and that's why i think you know that's why i wanted to tell the whole story because if you look back far enough it's like no wait that's bullshit but it's just that you know if you're a certain age that just seems it's it seems it's a paradigm concept uh, problem mm-hmm. it's uh, something that you've you know grass is green the sky is blue uh, this this worship of market is is just the way it's supposed to be the president is supposed to be a war criminal like all these things are normal um and they sort of like i think accidentally perpetuated those myths just by being politicians and just saying whatever they needed to say to win and speaking Mm -hmm. out of both sides of their mouths you know clinton did that obama did it and it all culminated in uh you know the the fucking bubble bursting and the bottom falling out of it in 2016 when I you think that those things just became more obvious or that enough people just like threw their hands up or disenfranchised and that's why like now like the, the examples of this once you understand it are so fucking extreme I mean like that fearless girl statue you know that argument that like feminism now is a woman working for fucking wall street or a a missile company or whatever um these are extreme examples of the two things they think mrs old (laughs) (laughs) gilbert in a speech recently was like lehman brothers wouldn't have happened if it was lehman sisters (laughs) yeah Yeah, mario brothers wouldn't have happened if it was mario sisters (laughs) (laughs) Uh, gilbert's so funny because she's so clearly just totally without any principles, but she understands that going to the left is her best bet for 2020, and so she's just so much just, look, just tell me what to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever uh, you want. It's it. like, oh, you don't want, oh, I, I oh, what, I shouldn't have uh, endorsed this guy? Never mind, I don't endorse him. Oh, I shouldn't have done this <laughs> bill where they fucking do drone strikes against BDS supporters? Okay, no, never mind. I didn't <laughs> yeah. it's like she's just like, just tell me what to say. She's like, she's like the drill tweet, like, uh, turning my head towards the audience while holding a big res- r- lever that says racism and deciding where to put it. <laughs> like, that's yeah, yeah. her. Just like, what What do you want me to do? I just, whatever it takes, I want to be president. <laughs> yeah, She's her, the only one who does it. Yeah. Yeah. Her, well, her and Kamala Harris are, like, made from that same DNC fucking yes. play. And they're just like, well, what are my analysts saying? Like, what Egg is hatch. Twitter saying? Are, my, are Twitter my analysts? And just following their fucking lead to the point where they're going to end up in the same spot that Hillary Clinton campaign yep. was. Where because they're going to be like, well, what does the fucking algorithm say? Yep. I don't believe because in that anything. hollows right. it yeah. out and then all of your energy is gone because you don't represent anything anymore. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I could see a scenario, though, where they actually where they keep that sort of progress. They try to keep their progressive bona fides through the general election if one of them is the nominee. Where, whereas with Clinton, someone like that, they, they want to tilt more to the center. Uh, but then when they get in office, it's, it's going to be the same shit. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, and so that's why it's uh, something that's that um, um, what's his name Michael Brooks. I just did his podcast, um, and he I listened to an episode he did on on the third way, um, and something that he said I thought was kind of poignant. More like the turd way. Roasted. Your ass got roasted. Fatality. David um, from Cigar. Yeah, I spent hours in this loft. I've never seen your cat. Uh, she's kind Jinx of recent. Shit out of cat. <laughs> <laughs> she's a recent addition, and she's been mostly oh, laying yeah. on the tile floor. 
Um, why my eyes are itchy. But that weird shit that, that like Democratic politicians do all the time now, where they're like, "Well, you know, we have to win over more of these right wing voters. Um, we can't move farther to the left. We have to throw abortion or whatever under the bus. Uh, you know, we we have to do all these things." Comes from the playbook they developed, you know, when they were forming neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. And now you see them, and you know, this is uh, maybe a ray of hope, maybe not. They're doing the same thing where they're testing the waters and starting to realize, oh. I mean, maybe I can win some of these fuckers over who I have hated <laughs> forever if I say I'm uh, for, you know, Medicare for all or whatever. There's a great um, Onion article that's ba- it's like about a Gillibrandish, you know, character. It's very obviously her. It's just her going, I guess I'm for Medicare for all now since you fucking people won't leave me alone about it. <laughs> it's like really funny. Um, it's written from a very angry point of view, you know, but, um, I mean, I don't know. We have this situation now where it's like, yeah, we can pull these people left, but you, if uh, people should understand that they're not, they don't want to go that way. We shouldn't have to be dragging a Democrat kicking and screaming into supporting, uh, you know, policies yeah, that people donors. clearly want. See what they yeah. voted for. Yeah. See what they've said. Um, Think of it like the Khmer Rouge. To keep you is no gain. To lose you is no loss. Yeah. Just yeah. fucking get rid of them. Look Cut at out it. the fake friends in your life. <laughs> <laughs> no time for that. No time for fake friends. Yeah. On the timeline or in the IRL. Oh. Khmer, Rouge, Khmer Rouge and Drake. That's who you should listen to. <laughs> yep. They would definitely fall under the sincere Facebook caucus. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm cutting out all the toxic people in my life. Yep. If you're reading this, count yep. yourself lucky. Yeah. <laughs> if you now, have glasses, fuck you. I'll say. <laughs> yeah, no. Stalin's uh, Great Purge was the first uh, goodbye to fake friends tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we c- could just briefly, because I I'm thinking like people are listening and they're hearing like socialism, communism, like maybe briefly talk about what we mean by that and how it differs from what was all happening on the other side of the world with the Soviet Union. Why? And I think that's like what turns a lot of people off from. Yes, sure, word. sure, absolutely. Madness. What yeah. I'm trying to do with this show is identify that split totally. and explain it to people. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah please, uh, you, if you know how to, like, if you got a, uh, something to speak to about that, um, go for it. <laughs> well, well, like, AOC, as we call her, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, was on uh, The View last week, and she had to explain socialism in, like, a seven-second soundbite. And her answer was, uh, basically, if you, you shouldn't have to be poor. That's a good answer, I think, for yeah. that kind Honestly, of that's a great capsule description of like the basic driving yeah. concept of it. I think she should have rapped. And that's <laughs> and that's as much as anybody has ever expected to define their terms in politics. Right. Oh my god, yeah. politics is nothing if not totally vacuous bromides with no clear definition. Then they just spout them out, and then now all of a sudden she has to fucking get these definitions all of a sudden. But it's okay because these are real concrete things that can be defined quickly. Yep. And no poor people is a perfect fucking distillation yep. of it. Yeah, that's why it's so interesting is because, like, uh, it shows you that, you know, if, if your ideology has a goal, you can just answer that question by stating its goal. But you mm-hmm. can't do that with neoliberalism, which is why, you know, if you ask these people what they believe in, they just trail off about entrepreneurship yeah. and, uh, you Freedom. know weird compromised means testing about They're, they all right. have they all have that dunwich look you know they all have that that lovecraft thing where it just seems like they've spawned from the deep and they've yeah. been infected with just a mind virus <laughs> that cannot be overcome but one of and one of their good their talking points that can sometimes it's a very simple stupid point that but they'll keep hammering it 
Anya, is this, well, what about the Soviet Union? What about Cuba? What about all these examples uh, of where people were, quote-unquote, socialists? And, like, quickly, like, why is that not actually what Marxism is, what socialism is? Um, my answer to that would be that um, the most of these uh, states, like uh, Venezuela, for example, is like probably their, fam- their favorite one to throw yeah. at you. It's like, oh, look at this clearly failed experiment here um it's really hard for them to really make that argument feasibly because all of these states are also the number one driving factor in how things played out in their governments is the american government Mm -hmm. um so you know if you look at venezuela like um so much of their economy was based on um the, um, oil. 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 Oil, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oil. What's it called? Oil. <laughs> it's called oil. <laughs> Say the word. <laughs> like, like, I don't need black. to tell you I'm an oil man. <laughs> Use your fucking stability, it. my main man. But the, the reason why that, that throws off the uh, the argument tea. that it's, um, you know, that, that, oh, you tried to start socialism in an isolated place yeah. uh, and it didn't play out, like, For sure, yeah. in a vacuum. Uh, well, yeah. that's bullshit because the oil was affected mm-hmm. by by what's going on in imperialism and all this shit, right? right? You could and even argue that the descent into authoritarianism in the Soviet Union starts when the whites have the civil war with the Reds, which is entirely funded by European empires. Well, that's the context. There's two big contextual things you have to remember with every discussion of the supposed crimes of, of communist countries in the 20th century. The first is that all of those crimes exist in the context of constant, nonstop, holy war of capital against it all over the world. As soon as the Soviet Union is created, you have a nonstop, just five alarm attack on every front, cultural, military, political, economic especially, to undermine and destroy that nascent communism. And that wherever communism emerges, this vicious fight from fucking, you know, the bombing of Hanoi, which was greater than all the bombs dropped in World War II, uh, the fucking illegal mining of the Managua Harbor with the Sandinistas, the economic warfare, CIA plots, the sort of constant warfare, nonstop, invisible warfare against every aspect of socialism throughout the entire world when capitalism had the upper hand materially and essentially covered the globe with its, with its power and ability to injure at every point. How can you judge anything evenly in that, that kind of siege mentality where the need to maintain this this always attacked exterior is always going to undermine your your ne- desire to create like a real, you know, humane society because all hands on deck, you're in an emergency, and that emergency lasted the entire existence of the communist state, and that's the thing that gets forgotten. And then the other one, which is equally important, is that whenever they throw out the big numbers for deaths under communism in the 20th century, 100 million, 200 million, the vast bulk of those are in the USSR and in China and are related to famines created by industrialization because it is the process of industrialization was the the guiding force and and cause of the deaths of the vast majority of those people in all those famines some of them you can argue some of these people died here other than here because of the actions of the government but the main thrust is these governments decided that they needed to compete with the west and create industrial economies because that's what Marx and everything had told them to do and in doing so they squeezed 200, 300, 400 years of horrific capital accumulation into two generations. And of course, those numbers are horrifying. You know, as many people as died in, in famines in, in China and in the USSR. But in a slightly elongated timescale, multiples of those bo- bo- uh, people were killed in areas where, uh, where industrialization was driven by capitalism. The entire, every, every person who died 
from, from smallpox and starvation and, and outright massacre in the conquest of the Americas by European settlers and, and by imperialism, that's on capitalism's fucking tap. That's on like there. Every person to die uh, uh, in famine in India in the last 200 years, a number in excess of 60 million, including 3 million under Churchill's watch, under Churchill's cackling gaze during World War II, putting Churchill on par with Stalin and Hitler as a fucking genocide. Oh, Chur- Churchill was fucking horrible. But yeah, the, so better. you take those bodies, and they dwarf the number of people who died under communism, but because communism is this... You see the hand come in and force these things to happen in a way that Adam Smith's clever, invisible hand doesn't get blamed for, even though it's just as responsible for. Communism gets the blame. Capitalism doesn't get the blame for 500 million killed in colonialism and imperialism and slavery and all of that. It's yeah. almost like it doesn't make sense to be arbitrarily counting these numbers. Yes, exactly. Them on a graph. It's, it's yeah. just it's debate team nerd bullshit, which the internet has cr- right. turned into a religion. And That's the also new fucking faith. It's also important too to point out throughout history there have been the early Soviet Union. There have been examples of. Uh, development in a communist direction that were sustainable. The first, I think, seven years or so, they had the new economic program that wasn't driving people into starvation. They were actually using capital to, to some extent. And, 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 and in the middle of that, they were being attacked on all sides yeah. by, by all the Western powers and a collection of white Russian armies, all of which were headed by fucking anti-Semitic... Uh, like occult Nazi psychopaths <laughs> right. who were pogromming every Jew they came in contact with. If they'd won a world war, if they'd won that civil war, you could have had the Holocaust twenty years earlier in terms of the destruction of European Jewry. Mm-hmm. That is how horrifying the armies of the white resistance were during the Russian Civil War. And they were there at every moment, undermining every gain they made as soon as it was made. There was a guy in Mongolia Unger Sternberg, who d- considered himself like the last reincarnation of the Buddha and had a fucking cult army, like some, some psychotic like <laughs> Mongol Jim Jones. And he was out there chopping people's heads off uh, as part of this resistance that was supported by the United States and the Great Britain and Japan and all the civilized countries. That defined every element of the Soviet experience. Holy right. shit. And, and harkening back to the example of Venezuela, and then that's now what you're hearing from establishment Democrats and neoliberals about, you know, in light of the Ocasio uh, win, and that's what you heard in 2008 when Obama got elected. Mm-hmm. So it's like horseshoe theory is real, and liberals subscribe to it. Yeah. Uh, I mean that facetiously, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Um,. So I think that was a rather ambitious crash course through the 20th century. Um, I think uh, hopefully we might have uh, helped uh, connect some dots into how we're now in a hell world where, um, you know, where uh, fucking social justice is, uh, you know, working for a bank, um, where... You know, we've got all these leftover vestiges of these uh, these broken up parties and ideas laying around, and, and it's becoming very obvious. Um, in you know, now hopefully, if you listen to this and you couldn't before, you can identify a neoliberal idea. Um, one thing I wanted to add that is uh, about these politicians um, and why you know to answer my friend Martha's question, how can you look at one of these people and decode whether they are actually working in your interest or they whether they're career politicians? Whether they got money and whether they say like their own version of dog whistly shit like um, a friend of the show Natalie Shore pointed out very astutely one time that um, a phrase that you need to look at and and ping real hard is um, when they talk about healthcare access. they use access to healthcare access exactly to healthcare. that is a these aren't the droids you're looking for like yeah. a mind spell. <laughs> 
it's such an underhanded thing. But if they don't say Medicare for all, they don't say single payer or whatever. They don't. That's say a big it. red red flag. Yeah. But really, the best thing is it's very easy. You can just follow the money. Exactly. Like yeah. Crowley versus AOC, you didn't have to listen to a thing they said. You didn't have to read a single mailer or watch a debate. All you needed to look were the fucking disclosure sheets. AOC, small donors, individuals, Crowley, every fucking scumbag. Bank and, and, and Dracula factory on, on Wall Street, fucking vampiric uh, real estate developers. Every fucking sucking asshole in the greater New York area was bankrolling his campaign. That's all you needed to know. Yeah, it's yeah. that simple. This guess what? It didn't work for him. And the yeah. thing is, is that there's all these libs who are complaining. It, the thing that astounds me is, is that the reason they get so mad is because they have taken in, in their head the role of being in charge of the Democratic Party. Mm. And so everybody else is a supplicant. They don't see the Democratic Party as something separate from them that they have to influence. Mm-hmm. They are it in their heads. They're in charge of it. And so they see any criticism of it, of these like ungrateful swarming hordes, because their minds instinctively identify with this institution, which is insane. Can you imagine like the kind of uh, uh, mental gymnastics you have to go through to assume that you are a party where you never go to a meeting? Yeah. <laughs> like you're a job yeah. you've never showed it's up It's astounding. At. <laughs> like they're, they're, in, they're engaged. It's not like a mass party. It's not like the Red Guard. It's not like some like mass political movement, yeah, the no Red Shirts or something, or the fucking... <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's not the fucking squadristi. Yeah, well, it's a thing you go cutters. to every two to four <laughs> years and pull a lever. People, That's all it is, and yet they've in, 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 got it in their hearts. Small, that is their identity. People, people that are really into like social politics and identity politics and stuff like that seem to understand the word gaslighting and what it means. But when you ask them about politics, it's like, no, clearly I came to these decisions on my own based on nothing other than not being a fucking Republican. But that's why they kept saying, and they were so mad, Wow, Crowley, he endorsed Medicare for all. He said yes to a $15 minimum wage. <laughs> There's nothing these people won't demand. And, and it's like, lady, <laughs> look at where the money comes from. Anyways, um, does anyone have any final thoughts before we get the plugs? Smash the state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thing. All right, I like Some it. people are into. I'm fucking yell at Jake on Twitter. Yell at me on Twitter. I don't get enough of that. I shit. told him fuck you earlier today. <laughs> I meant it. I know he, I know you're having a stressful week, but you know, fuck off, Jake. <laughs> uh, follow me, uh, ACLU official, uh, weekly show in Park Slope called Airplane Mode. Um, can I? I actually. So the last time we did plugs, I messed it up and said that, it, that to the London people that I'm on the twelfth. Of July, it's actually going to be on the 13th. Oh no! So by the time this comes out, maybe it's too late. All London, where are you at? All those fans on the 12th. You fucker! At Draper Hall. You uh, bloke. It's going to be on the 13th, I believe 9 p.m. Uh, UK time, and then I'm going to be. If you're up in Scotland, uh, at any time in August, really, from the 4th to the 25th, I'm going to be doing my one-man show, Dummy, which is a show I talk about the autistic. Spectrum and it's uh, funny and fun. I hope. It's good. Watch it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's like eating a bowl of haggis and it's going to be at Bourbon Bar at 1300 hours every day in August except Wednesday. It's like a fried Mars bar. He's doing an autistic accent. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I can't 500 drop teeth packs. Alex, do you have anything? Yes. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Patak Jokes. Uh, and I have a weekly show every Sunday at Sing Sing Karaoke Bar in Manhattan on A and 5th. It's at 7 o'clock. It's called Bad News. It's a comedy show. I put on a suit jacket. I tell you the news. Stand-up comedy happens. 
And oh, and I have another podcast, Ballin' Out Super, where uh, uh, we d- debate communism in Dragon Ball Super. Oh, amazing. Uh, Matt, you got anything? Well, I've got my podcast, uh, Chapo Trap House, available on iTunes and uh, related apps. Uh, also available as premium feed for big dick ballers. Also, we have a book coming out in August, Chapo Guide to Revolution, that is sarcastic. Please don't <laughs> yell at me anymore. We know it's irony. A manifesto against logic, uh, facts, and reason, and uh, available for pre-order Buy the on book. the internet. Buy the book, folks. Buy the book. Buy the book. Buy the book. Um, all Keep right. your eyes open on the East Coast for early September. We'll be doing a tour. Cool. Um, I'm at Feral Jokes on everything. It's an anagram for my name. It's my website, all my social media. On my Twitter, I usually pin uh, my tour dates uh, to the top in my pinned tweet. Um, so if you're ever curious from coming to your town, come check my uh, social media and specifically that one. And most importantly, uh, if you if uh, if you showed up at this podcast uh, from something, I can't quite uh, say out loud uh, that might happen. And this is at all interesting to you, and it sounds new, and uh, it's got your brain bumping a little bit. Um, something we're going to do with this podcast is, you know, all these these his, his stories from history, all these things that uh, may make you think in a way that you haven't thought before, you know, we're, we'll do way more of them. We're going to focus in on specific v- events that inside of this huge fucking tale we just rolled out. Um, we're going to do all sorts of stuff, and if you like it and you want to help support the show and you want access to a bunch of bonus content... Subscribe to our Patreon. Um, it's five bucks, and it gives you... Uh, we make an episode a week, and we make a second episode, a bonus episode every week. So you'll get that bonus episode, and you'll also get access to... Where did you guys get that idea? Uh, <laughs> I don't. I have no idea, Matt Crispin from Chapo Trap House. <laughs> 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 I got that idea when I got really angry that all my friends were getting rich as shit. <laughs> it occurs to me that, uh, that we are literal job creators, and that's <laughs> yeah. very odd. The irony... I, you know what? I demand respect now. The irony... I am greater than a troop. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of yelling about entrepreneurs entrepreneurialism and shit for uh, an hour and then realizing yeah <laughs> that's uh that's what we are baby we're lying the whole time this whole thing's satire um, if you're interested in a topic though we will have jake's address in the event description <laughs> and you can send him mail yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can uh, you know make me stuff in your cabin and send it to me you know whatever show up at his house when he, he doesn't know you're coming um but yeah and uh, absolutely do listen to chapo trap house it is uh, absolutely um you know one of the things that inspired me to do any of this shit um they're doing great work and i'm a big fan we're the velvet underground yeah <laughs> everyone started a podcast after that how's a quote go i don't know something like that it's, yep. it's that's it <laughs> <laughs> Everyone start a podcast after that. Let a, as Mao said, let a hundred podcasts bloom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye bye.